Uh, turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Galatians. We're going to continue with our uh, verse-by-verse um, movement through this wonderful letter that Paul writes. It's been a whirlwind through day, a few days. We, uh, Kaz and I were with the New Ground Academy students at the London base on Friday. Some of our guys that are doing so well there as well. Friday night, we had a, uh, some time with the elders and wives uh, team. And then Saturday morning and into the afternoon, talking, praying, eating together. <coughs> here we are this morning with the gathered church. How wonderful to know that what we're singing in here, what we're praying in here, the Jesus that we're meeting in here has a kingdom purpose for us out there in our workplaces, schools, homes, streets, places of leisure. It's good to know, isn't it? We're not just going through the motions, but there's a kingdom plan. There's a king on his throne. Um, Lord Jesus, everything you've been saying to us, we, we want to walk in it. Thank you that you light the way. Well, thank you for that amazing picture of cat's eyes. Thank you for the lights that come on as we step into the purpose and promise of God. Lord, you've always led your people. You, you led them in the, in the wilderness with a pillar of fire at night and smoke in the day. Will you not remain faithful in leading us as we advance your kingdom around us here in Crawley and beyond as you, uh, as you lead us and prompt us? So we trust you, Lord. Keep working in us, we pray. Speak to us, Lord, as we open the word this morning, as we break bread together uh, to finish our worship time today. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, Paul's writing this letter to churches that we would now find he's planted in um, uh, what we now call Turkey. Um, he's writing to them because the gospel is at stake very quickly after planting the churches. The story so far, if you're just uh, with us for the first time in Galatians this morning, um, Paul's uh, given them a brief summary of his role, his right to speak into them as an apostle. Um, and shared with them his heart to, uh, for writing to them, and then launches, we've been in it the last two, three weeks, into his story um, regarding his own response to the gospel of grace. Um, and the last, uh, last week, how he worked that out by meeting with the, the apostolic team in Jerusalem, um, and uh, the agreement that they reached together with the apostles there through, through conflict, actually, but that there's one church, um, irrespective of your Jewish background or your non-Jewish background, however you've come to the gospel, there's only one gospel. Um, and uh, Paul agreed with Peter, the kind of primary uh, apostle, I guess, that these false brothers who've been pressuring the new believers, um, both in the Jerusalem church and in the churches uh, around the Galatian region, that were pressurizing uh, believers to add to the gospel of grace, Jewish law, traditions, customs, regulations. Uh, Paul says, no, we're agreed. That makes it no gospel at all uh, or another gospel and we're not going to live that way. Our conclusion over the weeks has been, let's get to know this gospel. Um, for us, the challenge, for most of us perhaps, the challenge is not to return to Judaism. That's not something that most of us will have come out of. Uh, but we want to know this gospel. We want to learn this gospel. We want to memorize this gospel. We want to be ready to share this gospel, to live it out with freedom and fruitfulness, to be thankful in worship for this amazing gospel, to refuse to add to this gospel any self-effort any self-religion, uh, any attempts that I might make at pleasing God or trying to look right just on the outside, trying to keep others happy. It's all grace, Paul says. It's only by the grace of God in sending Jesus to rescue us from this present evil age, chapter 1, to make a way for us to come into a relationship with God through his perfection, to bring us to his 
Father, to so completely make us his own that, that, that we'll find later on, we'll get there uh, eventually, chapters 3 and 4, we find whatever our ethnic background, whatever our cultural background, we get called sons and daughters and heirs, that we belong to Christ. We, we've received the same spirit and we're all living for the same promises and the same inheritance. That's where we're going. Bit of a plot spoiler, sorry if, you, uh, if you've not yet read the letter. Let me encourage you to read it through at home uh, on, your, on your own in your own time. Uh, where do I put my little glass of water? I'm going to do a silly tickly cough otherwise and just annoy you all uh, all the way through this message. There we go. So turn with me to chapter 2. We'll pick up where we left off last week um, at verse 17. <coughs> I appreciate uh, because of where I stopped last week, we're coming in partway through uh, an argument um, but um, Paul's argument basically is that we've, we're convinced that we can't get there through self-improvement. We've all believed Jesus is the Messiah. We, we, get, we get right with God by trusting completely in Jesus, not by trying to be good. And verse 17, let's pick up from there. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. <coughs> this morning... Uh, the, the message of the, uh, of the sermon is about an invitation to a funeral. Um, whose funeral? Well, as I read this passage, it's my funeral. As you read it, it's yours. It's about our death to the law. In the few verses that we look at this morning, we're tackling uh, the relationship between the law and the gospel of grace. Someone, something, someone is going to die. Something new, someone new is going to live. And right through this passage, we'll, we'll find as as Paul and the other apostles do consistently in their teaching. Remind us what Jesus said. The law is good. The law remains good. The law will always be good and perfect. It reflects the character of God, but the law will forever remain powerless to deal with my sin uh, and your sin. All the law does is bring my sin and my imperfection to my attention. Um, it, it seems a stark choice when we look at law versus grace. Um, do I either kind of throw myself deeper into the law become like Paul was, more and more of a, of a religious legalist, trying to be good, but knowing in my heart, deep down, whatever I look like on the outside, I feel perpetually guilty and ashamed. Or do I go the other way? And, uh, and perhaps that's part of the message here, the, the, the implied threat in these letters. That I, I, well, I just turn my back on the law. I live for myself now. I please myself. Hey, forget the law. What makes me feel good? I'll live that way. That perhaps describes our our generation. Is it one or the other that we either hide more deeply in the law or we just turn away and we live to please ourselves? I think perhaps the scriptures speak about a new way. That's what the apostles teach us, a third way. We, we do leave the law, but, but we live by another way. We, we come to one who has perfectly fulfilled the law for us. We get to die in him, in Jesus Christ, and we get to start to live in him, and he gets to start to live in us. It's a wonderful message, and if you remember nothing else this morning, that's a summary of this text. Now, if we're a little bit religious, and from Paul's day onwards, this has been the issue, um, if you've worked so hard to look right on the outside, and to try and get right with God in your own strength. 
then this message of grace is, is too much. Actually, it's a wonderful delight for those who've turned their back on the law, who've lived for themselves, to think, wow, I can just come in and be received by God. Yes, you can, uh, as, as you die in Christ. But for the religious, it's a really big stumbling block. It, it brings out, I guess, what we call the, the kind of elder brother um, spirit in us, a religious spirit. If you're familiar with the story Jesus told in, in Luke 15, and you may not all be familiar with it here, we call it the story of the prodigal son, where uh, a young man left his father's house. He took his father's inheritance early, before his father had died, and he went off and lived for himself, and lived to please himself, and wasted himself on all the stuff that he shouldn't have wasted himself on. Comes trudging back with a, a real heart change to his father's house. Um, with nothing left, but just expecting to have to live on the edge of his dad's estate, expecting that I'll never be able to pay him back, uh, I'll always be in his debt for the rest of my life, and, and certainly if whatever relationship I have with him, that's ruined, it's gone. Uh, there'll just be a barrier between us, there'll never be any intimacy again. Remarkably, as Jesus tells this story, this younger brother is met by a father that runs towards him like a big, happy puppy. He's been waiting, he picks him up and covers him in kisses and, uh, and puts a new ring on his finger that, that speaks of his inheritance being added back in to the will, as it were. He puts new shoes on his feet, he throws a party, he gets the best food. But the elder brother, who's kept the rules, who's served the father dutifully, uh, who, uh, who has wanted to run away and blow his father's money, but has resented his younger brother doing it. He, he could have been in on the inside, and yet he stayed outside looking in. And how we react to grace shows something about whether we've got the kind of religious pride of the older brother, or something of the joy of coming to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. There are some symptoms that we might recognise in our lives of the elder brother. I don't know if you see any of these in your heart as I look at my own heart. Unable to rejoice when the younger brother comes in uh, to the father, being welcomed with intimacy, being put back into the inheritance he doesn't deserve. Do you struggle to rejoice when you see that in others? Do you find that your default setting is to be guilty all the time, to feel critical towards others, to have a, a kind of harshness of spirit, particularly to those that you see falling and failing? Do you find yourself being uh, accusing in your thought life towards others, struggling to forgive others, maybe not recognising that we ourselves are in need of greater forgiveness, but I hold on to the tiny sins of others. Perhaps you find you're unable to promote or honour others above yourself, especially if they haven't been around as long as you have or worked as hard as you have to try and keep God happy. How dare they come rushing through into positions of prominence? Maybe you're aware, do you know what, I've been around God, I've been around church all my life, but I lack that intimacy with my Father. I've been boasting in my record of hard work and duty and service for God. I read my Bible every day. I haven't missed church or a prayer meeting in 25 years, but I'm lacking in my heart any real acceptance and love from the Father. I don't really know that he delights in me, uh, um, that, he, that his face is inclined with a smile of favour and love towards me. I've, I've got the mind of a servant and a slave rather than this new identity of a son or a daughter. Again, we'll, we'll get to that at the end of chapter 3, but the seeds are here now in our, our lives. We, we should recognise them if we see them growing in us. Grace, the gospel of grace, in its undiluted form, as we find it here in, in Galatians, will always provoke in some of us who are Christ followers some evidence of a religious spirit. Um, when we were kids at school, 
we used to get given, um, I don't know what lesson it was, it was in the era where they used to have the knit nurse, you know, look for head lice. That's why I keep mine like this, you know, there's no danger. Um, in that era where they used to have the knit nurse, it's probably an invasion of my human rights now, uh, to have a, a, a stout lady come and roughly run a metal comb through my hair. Um, but uh, we also used to have someone come in and give us disclosing tablets. Do you remember that for your teeth? And, um, and you'd be made to chew a disclosing tablet, and then the kids with dodgy-looking teeth would have to stand in that corner. It was like the separation of the sheep and the goats. And, uh, and, and the disclosing tablets would show up the, the plaque, plaque. I'd spent too long in the north. It's plaque, isn't it? Um, plaque, plaque, <laughs> plastic barg. Um, they'd show up anyway, the stuff on your teeth that shouldn't be there. And uh, they would ha you, you, didn't know, you had no idea, no awareness. Your teeth looked like anyone else's teeth, but you take a disclosing tablet and suddenly you see these shadows and shapes on your teeth of things that need attention. The gospel of grace, when we hold it up as a filter to look at our hearts through, always highlights. Suddenly we're aware of it. Oh, it, it discloses to us any hint of a religious spirit. And, and so if it's doing so this morning, let's do something about it. And here we find... Um, in Paul's letter, verse 17 onwards, one of the big kind of test questions um, for those who, who just can't seem to get their heads around the gospel of grace. Paul says in uh, verse 17, effectively, if I've, been made, if I've been made right with God, it's an objection someone would make to grace. If I've been made right with God through Jesus, as the gospel of grace says, and yet if it's still evident that I've got some measure of sin in my life, then it, could it not be said that Jesus is actually allowing sin or promoting sin? And, and doesn't that therefore mean the gospel's empty or unsafe in some way? Don't we need a little bit of law and duty to go with our gospel of grace? Otherwise, we just all go anywhere. I remember preaching years ago uh, with a group of Italian churches doing some teaching on grace. I found out later that when I came home, the following three weeks, the pastor, who's a good guy, I love him dearly, um, but he uh, preached against the gospel of grace. In fact, he didn't. He said the gospel of grace is wonderful, it's true, it's in the Bible, but we Italians, we need a little bit of law, otherwise we just go all over the place. We, we need hemming in, and so we just need to add to this gospel of grace, which is true. It's okay for the Brits or other more kind of sober-minded northern Europeans, but for us Italians, we need some law, otherwise we can't live to please God. It's scandalous. Um, it's, a, it's a gospel and, a gospel plus, as we've been seeing over these last few weeks. Uh, and that's what this question is uh, about. Do we need a little bit of law added into our grace? Similar to the question Paul asks when he writes to the, the Roman church. Um, he's teaching there that, that the, uh, the, idea of the, it, the idea of the grace of God and that, the, that, we've, that we've died to the law. The law's pointed us to Jesus, but now the law's job is done. The law takes his hands off the wheel, as it were. Paul says in, in, in Romans, uh, through Romans 6 and 7, we're not under the old slave master of the law anymore. The law's been superseded by the gospel of grace. Again, if you're a bit religious-minded, that is scandalous. Um, and in, in Romans 6.1, Paul asks a similar question to the one he asks in verse 17 here. 6.1, he says, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? It's the same question he's asking. And Paul's answer to the Galatians here is the same, it's as emphatic as his answer to the Roman church. Romans 6.1, he says shall, to the question, shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means, he says. And here uh, in, uh, in Galatians 2.17, absolutely not. Paul is completely emphatic. Jesus Christ does not promote sin, nor does the gospel of grace. In fact, it's a distortion. It's a twisting to even think so. Jesus himself was the perfect one. 
the only perfect one, the one who came from heaven to earth as we've been singing this morning, the only one who has ever fulfilled perfectly the righteous requirements of the law in his life. How can we say for a moment that he might be the one that would promote sin? It's actually a blasphemous idea. Romans 5.19, Paul says, through the obedience of the one man, so that, that's Jesus Christ, the one man, um, his obedience being his perfect obedience to the law. Um, through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Hallelujah. So that Jesus, the obedient one, the one who's been obedient to the complete righteous requirements of the law, that he should be accused of promoting sin. Now, grace in Jesus Christ actually sets the bar even higher. But this is kind of how it is when we start to mix up law and grace. We're just trying to live right, trying to work hard, but we're constantly feeling accused, constantly feeling guilty, constantly feeling the, the finger of the law pointing at our imperfections every time we fall short. But now in Christ, now in his gospel of grace alone, now apart from the law, which has done its job for us, um, and perhaps we're touching on verse 18 now, we get to rebuild the house. Um, we don't just get to try to be good Oh, I've had enough of that, haven't you? I've, I've been following Jesus since I was seven years old. That'll be 40 years in... Tw it's 2018 now, isn't it? That'll be 40 years this year. Um, I've had enough of trying to be good. There's something apart from the law, someone apart from the law. Um, we actually can begin to believe these ideas in the gospel of grace that we get to inherit Christ's goodness. We get to clothe ourselves in Christ. We get our perfection in him. We get to stand before God, not under the law, but, but in Christ, and so begin to actually live life to the full. Let's read verse 18, because I touched on it there, talking this, this analogy of the house. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. Paul's saying, what, what's the, where's the merit, where's the benefit in going back to the law? This, I think Ken said a couple of weeks ago, this gospel of grace is so transformative. Why would I ever want to turn back, uh, having taken hold of it? And he's using a, a picture of a house here. We've, we've constructed a new house of grace. It's a better house. It's a house of freedom. It's a house where we've been given access. We've been given a key to a door that's been opened for us. We didn't deserve to walk through it through any work of our own. Um, could you imagine tearing such a house down in order to rebuild a kind of gospel plus law house, a gospel house, but with a law foundation? It's crazy, Paul says, but these false believers he's been talking about with their insistence of law keeping, um, as a part of salvation. What they're actually trying to do is, is to painfully reconstruct this house of human effort and self-merit. Uh, for Paul, who'd lived that way, he was the, the legalist of legalists. He was the one that zealously pursued the law. For Paul, that house had come crashing down the day he met the risen Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, where he was on his way to persecute churches. Paul said, that came crashing down for me when I met Jesus in his blazing beauty and glory. And suddenly the law didn't matter anymore because it had led me to the one who really does matter. Paul says, I'm not going to rebuild that house. Why should any of the rest of us? The Lord just tells me I'm a sinner who falls short of the perfect rightness of God, but it can't help me get to God. If I go back to the law, if I rebuild that structure... If I put that house back up in my life again, then I, I really do just show myself to be a sinner. I, I, but I can't get out of the house. I can't get away. I'm one who stands condemned. Um, the whole argument that apart from the law, we might allow sin to reign in our lives is a, is a completely empty one. The law keeps us under sin. 
the law can't help us get out from sin. We just remain guilty and condemned. It's a, it's a completely nonsense argument. But thanks be to God, as Paul says elsewhere, we're not supposed to live that way. Jesus has opened a new way. We're not supposed to stay in condemnation. If, if, you, if you're feeling constantly guilty and condemned, that's not how it is for you as a disciple of Jesus in the gospel of grace. We're not supposed to remain every day preoccupied with a constant awareness of sin that keeps us out from intimacy with our Heavenly Father. Yeah, in this new house of grace, of course, we're going to be aware of our sin and painfully so at times, but we know that it's been dealt with in Christ once and for all, and now we're free to live for God. So Paul says in Romans 8, and it applies for our message here today, there is therefore now no condemnation. Let me hear you say no condemnation. Well, that Nasset is how you mean it. Yeah, that's good. Come on. Well done. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death for what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. (coughs) And so he condemned sin in sinful men, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Hallelujah. This, this is the house we now live in. Let's carry on with uh, verses 19 uh, and 20. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. There are some amazing summaries of the gospel in Paul's letters. I don't think there's one more beautiful um, and complete than this. Um, This is where we say, hey, welcome to your funeral today. Um, Paul talks in verse 19, uh, through the law, I've died to the law so that I might live for God. Verse 20, I've been crucified. There's there's an image of the cross. I've been crucified with Christ. Later on in verse 20, he says, I no longer live. There are three emphatic uh, references to our death in those two verses. Dying to the law, crucified with Christ, no longer living. They help us understand, if you weren't sure, halfway through this sermon now, more than halfway through, what, what should my relationship with the law be now that I'm in grace in Jesus Christ? These three statements of fact help us understand it if you're still in any doubt. We don't add a bit of the law to the gospel of grace. We are dead to it and now alive to a greater reality in Jesus. Um, Paul's saying something so full and complete has happened through the cross of Christ. It's final. Um, it's, it's once and for all. There's no turning back. There's no watering it down as far as Paul is concerned. It's, it is literally an issue of life or death. So let's just deal with the death part first as we consider our funeral to the law today. Again, I mentioned Romans 7. That's Paul's basic argument when he writes to the church there. He paints this beautiful picture, or painful picture actually, of of the husband, the law, and the wife under his painful headship and leadership where the husband, the law, is always condemning his wife Uh, always pointing the finger, pointing out every single fault in her life. She's longing to be free, but actually in her heart she knows my husband is perfect. You know that, ladies, don't you? Um, It's just an analogy. Don't don't look at me like so angry, hey? Uh, That was meant to Kaz. Um, 
she knows the husband is perfect because he's the law and he's always right. And worse than that, he's never going to die. He's going to keep speaking this into her life as long as she lives. Romans 7, Paul goes on to say, and here's the good news, you died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. So for the new believers Paul's writing to in the Galatian churches who are thinking we've got to add some Jewish law to our our new faith in Christ. To us in Crawley, maybe you started out running this race, grace alone, but now feeling somehow I've got to work a little bit harder to please God and to keep right with him. To such a people, Galatia or Crawley, Paul's helping us understand our true relationship to the law is that we have died to it. We are dead to it. Jesus said the law will never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. Um, so if the law's not going to die, we need to die, brothers and sisters. Thank God this release from the law came through the perfect son, the one who died for us, the one who died in our place for our sins, to rescue us. So we can say with Paul, I've been crucified with Christ. There we are, a couple of scaffold planks that represent the cross. There was a saviour who was nailed to a cross for us. Seems so other from our existence. And yet we can say with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ with regard to the law. I am counted in his death. In the same way that the perfect saviour was accused, um, was judged, was sent down into the grave by the law which condemned him. Not because he had sinned in any way, but because he was carrying my sin on the cross. In the same way, so I die now to the old life, to the law which condemns me. I've died in Christ. I'm hidden with Christ. That's what Paul says in Colossians 3, doesn't he? For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Hallelujah. So you may say, hey, the accusation of the law doesn't feel very dead in my life today. Lots of finger pointing going on. Well, yeah, the law hasn't died. The law won't die. The law will continue to accuse you and make you feel guilty if you allow it to. But we are no longer under its condemnation and judgment. We have died to the law. And so the law has no hold, no chain on us, no claim, no right to speak into our lives, no right to bring me under guilt and condemnation. Jesus has taken this on the cross. When Paul writes in Romans 6, he um, speaks about us coming out from under the authority of the law. And uh, he speaks about the authority. The Greek word that he uses is, is like the authority a, a sergeant major in the army would have over, um, over a private or a raw recruit where he just shouts and says, do this, go there, run there, and you just have to do it. There's no thought if you're a raw recruit in the armed forces uh, that you might get in your sergeant major's face as he's shouting at you uh, and calling you horrible names and say, I don't feel like doing that today. Um, no, nah, it's not really what I fancy today. I don't really want to climb that, or, oh, it's a bit muddy. Uh, oh, I don't like the loud noise of guns. Um, there's no thought of that. You, you, the sergeant major shouts, he commands, uh, and you jump, and you run, and you fire a gun, and you do all those things. You have absolutely no choice. So it was for us under the law, but we no longer live under the law. We've died to the law in Jesus. Any command now that the sergeant major of the law shouts at me, any time he gets in my face and intimidates me, I can say, hey, law, talk to the hand. I'm free from your overbearing control. I'm in Christ. I've died to you. I'm no longer under your control. And dead to the law for what purpose? Again, that's the other accusation we touched on at the start that comes for those that find the gospel of grace so scandalous. Have I died to the law so I can just live to please myself? 
If you preach grace honestly, people will think that. It's a conclusion they'll jump to. But it's not the gospel of grace. Through the cross, there's a complete reordering of everything. Um, a, a, a total reorientation. Total change of life. My relationship to sin, to the law, now changed forever because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. For most of Paul's life, the law had completely dominated him. All its requirements had shaped his life, his study, his work, I guess his relationships, certainly his ambitions. Now it's all thrown aside for a, a greater treasure, a greater prize we were singing in one of our songs this morning, a, a bigger affection, Jesus Christ. Now Paul can say, uh, Philippians 1.21, now uh, for me to live is Christ, Paul can now say. He would never have said that before. He would have said to live is the law. Now he says to live is Christ, who's fulfilled the law. Now instead of the law, for Paul, every moment is consumed with this, this conscience, conscious um, longing and dependency on Jesus Christ. He's the one he looks for in everything. Um, the one who hasn't just died but has brought him into a greater life. Bless you, that was a good sneeze. Um, Grace says, I've died to the law, but I've died in order to live for God. I've been crucified with Christ, but I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I live in now is a life of faith in the, in the Son of God. Romans 6, 8, if we've died with Christ... We believe we should also live with him. So it's not just about dying to something and being cut off from something. It's about coming into a newness of life. I think we've read Romans 7.4 already. You died to the law through the body of Christ in order that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. It's an incredible exchange that we're invited into. Dead to sin, dead to the law, alive to God in Christ. Dying with Christ, but raised with him too. In his resurrection, his life now shaping every part of my desire, my thoughts, my actions, my attitudes, my behaviour, my ambitions. My life is not my own any longer. It's, it's a nonsense to say oh, I'm free from the law, I just live to please myself. No, no, my life is not my own. I belong to another. I've been joined to Christ. I was married to the law. I've died to the law. I've been raised to life. I'm married to Christ now, as it were. I've been joined into his life, his purposes, his fruitfulness. I'm not just escaping the law and judgment, but I'm called into an abundant life and life in all its fullness. It's wonderful. Um, how we might live for God in that way when it's not seemed possible can be something that we have to try and grasp. The reality is I can't grasp it in my own, with my own insights. Maybe you've lived under the law for too long. Maybe you've lived for your own selfish desires for too long. Maybe there are sin patterns in your life that have just been so well established and entrenched that you think, could I really live this fullness of life? Well, yeah, you can. And here's why. It's in this passage. It's not just that you've died to the old. It's not just that you're not alive to it anymore, ah, but I feel it kicking and screaming. No, no, it's not just that you've died, but, but, but you've been raised to new life in Christ and Christ himself lives in you. Oh, that's what makes the difference. Wow. So the, the God of the old covenant who couldn't be touched by his people, who couldn't be seen, who couldn't be approached out of fear, the, the God who, who only brought his presence down in special kind of temple moments and special temple places where none of us ordinary sinners could ever dare to approach. Wow, here's a temple moment because Paul says, since the cross of Christ, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the giving of the Spirit, Christ himself now comes to live in me and to live in you. It's an incredible moment. We now are temples of the Holy Spirit. This is the amazing truth about the grace of God that Christ himself has come to live in you and I. Where I could never 
even think about trying to please God in my own strength. Never even imagine how I might live in the kind of fullness of life without tripping over my own sin. Never be able to train my heart and my mind in Christ-likeness in my own strength. Have you been trying to do that? Please don't worry about that anymore. There's a, a saviour who's come to make his home in us. We're, we're now dependent on his more powerful life. We're, uh, just as uh, it's John's Gospel, just as the branch is dependent on the vine, um, so we are now in Christ. And his life flows into us and he's come to live in us. Paul puts it beautifully in Ephesians 3. I pray that out of his glorious riches... He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. How can I keep going with the gospel? How can I keep walking with Jesus? We're asking the same question, I guess, today as the Galatian disciples. Theirs was a threat from the law, ours from all kinds of other gospels and temptations and ideas. The answer is we can't keep going with the gospel. (laughs) We can't unless we've truly died to the law, died in Christ, given up our old life, every old allegiance, unless we've truly been crucified with Christ, raised with Christ, and filled with his spirit, his life in us, to lead us and shape us and guide us only by the spirit's power, only like the Acts 2 believers who, before they began even trying to live as as Christians, Christ followers, in, in Jerusalem, the home of Judaism, got themselves filled with the Holy Spirit in order that they could obey the apostles' teaching in every way. Wow. We're not called, friends, just to try and manage our old lives a little bit better, to do a little bit better, to try and keep a little bit better control over our old nature, our old struggles. Can you hear this this morning, please? I'll finish here. I won't finish with what I've got written down. We are dead people. (laughs) We have died to the old. We've been crucified with Christ. He lives in us. He lives through us by his spirit, not just to change us, but to reach out to others as well. Amen. Can we stand together? There's some wonderful words and a little summary in verse 21 that I haven't had time to get to, but I want us to pray and break bread together. Just hear this at the end. I'll just read it to you and you can meditate on it. Been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you know the love of God expressed through the Son of God? This is, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. It's very personal. He loves me. He's given himself for me. Lord Jesus, we respond to your gospel this morning. Why don't we just lift our hands to the Lord if you're, it's just a sign of your openness your responsiveness to him. Whether you're a follower of Jesus, if you're challenged even to take that step this morning for the first time, Jesus, thank you for dying for me on the cross. Thank you that you love me. You gave yourself for me. Thank you that I get to die with you. I get to say I'm crucified with you. I get to rise with you into a new life. Lord, thank you for this incredible temple promise that you come to make your home in, in my heart. Wow. Lord Jesus, if there are any symptoms of the elder brother, the old dead man in us that have been highlighted as we look at our lives through, look at our hearts through the lens of this scripture. Please would you um, just bring them to our attention this morning. Lord, we repent of every religious spirit of accusation, control, fear, lack of intimacy. Lord, we want to die to that. We want to tear down that old house and build a new one. Lord, forgive us where we've mixed our law with grace, where we've not be able to fully uh, release 
the control of law and throw ourselves fully on the mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ for a life and a life in all its fullness. Would he help us truly to die to you and, and cause us to be alive to God? Lord, our lives are not our own. And Lord, we know we can't do that unless you fill us with your spirit. So God, baptize us again. Lord, those of us that have been filled day after day, time after time, may we know you again. Lord, those that might say, do, have I ever really known the smile and the favor? Have I ever been able to cry? As it says later in Galatians, Abba, Father, Father, dear Father, Holy Spirit, would you come? Make your home in our hearts, we pray. Lord, baptize us with your spirit. Break every self-effort in us. Break every sin pattern. Break every bit of religious thinking and fill us and cleanse us and empower us and change us, Lord. And as you fill us, Lord, and change us, may your life flow out from us as we've been praying already this morning to change the world around us. We love you, Lord, and we recognize that you've loved us. Amen.